I'm Laura Packer with Your Right Livelihood, a training to discover and put into action the work, art, and service you love. I have with me today Donna Washington, storyteller extraordinaire, who has been working around the nation for many years, sharing her love of stories and her talent with many, many different audiences. Donna, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me, Laura. I'm delighted. Donna, could you tell us a little bit about what you do and how you got started doing it? Okay. Well, I am um, a full-time professional storyteller, which basically just means all of my work is storytelling. I travel throughout the country and also the world, and I tell stories to audiences. I work with everyone from little bitty kids. Well, okay. I don't do pre-verbals. There are people who love the pre-verbals, but not me. So starting somewhere around five years old, and then there is no limit to how high it'll go. So I work in schools and libraries and festivals and, you know, communities, whatever you got, um, I come in and work. And one of the things that I'm really known for is crafting sets that are age and socially emotionally appropriate for school age students from, you know, littles all the way up to high school. And I will work pretty much with anyone. I am uh, also mostly known as a folklorist, which basically means that I prefer folk tales. And I will use, if I ever do tell personal narrative, there's folklore involved, mostly because I think folklore is eternal and our personal stories die with us and they are buried. <laughs> so that, uh, you know, 50 years from now, there will be some storyteller somewhere telling a story, a piece of folklore, and I will still be present in it somewhere. Some gesture that I came up with, some sound that became part of it. So we all live through our stories. Mm -hmm. That's great. So that's why I love to do that. Uh, and I write books. So I've written a number of books for children, as well as a, a lot of articles about storytelling and education and the crafting of stories, which I think is an art form that if we're not careful, we will lose. How do you craft a story for a different audience? What are you trying to get out of it? Why do you pick what you pick? So that you don't just get up and open your mouth and have a story fall out of it that you are telling with intention. It's a really important part to me. I blog about storytelling and the importance of it in education and brain development, as well as what it's like to be a professional storyteller, life hacks and the where it works. So that is what I do. I spend my life writing and telling stories. That's fantastic. How did you come to this work? How did you recognize your calling? Well, as is the case with calling sometimes you have no idea that you have been called so i was at university studying i was at northwestern i was studying theater and i got cast in a piece of theater where i had to pretend to be a storyteller because theater is all about pretending right <laughs> and the person who cast uh this particular piece her name is nancy donovan she is a storyteller and right now i believe she's in charge of the doctoral program at etsu East Tennessee State University and uh, storytelling. And she, the reason why she cast this play was she was getting her doctorate. At that point, I think she was still working on her master's and she needed people to take a class in storytelling, but she was afraid if she offered it, nobody would take it because we didn't really know what it was. So she cast a show and made the cast take the class. And somewhere in that process, I did the transition. I switched my, I, my focus. And I was the only person who didn't know. 
So we put this show up, it's called Child of Courage, and it was all this storytelling stuff. And I really wasn't paying a whole lot of attention to all the theory and whatever that Nancy had going on. But basically it was a passing down of the storytelling to a young apprentice. And when it was over, I was walking through the halls. People love this show, by the way. And I'm walking through the halls, people are like, hey, this man I'd never seen before walks up to me and says, you are a storyteller. And then he spent the next year and, his, and a year and a half of his life turning me into a storyteller. And his name was Reeves Collins. He is the um, children's theater director over at Northwestern University, still there. And he, like I said, he just, the next day he showed up with my schedule and handed it to me and said, uh, you have to take these two classes. And they were graduate level classes. And I was a junior. And he said, yeah, because these are the only storytelling classes in you offers. And I teach them. So I show up in this class after having overloaded my schedule because I still had other classes to take. And I'm like this really young person in the midst of these giant bearded people, you know, <laughs> the old ladies. They had to be in their mid twenties at that point. <laughs> and uh, the professor had everyone go around and say who they were and what they were doing in the class. And they're studying all these things and performing studies. And when it got to me, I had prepared my little speech. And Reed said, oh, you know, that's Donna. She's already a storyteller. She's just here to learn new stories. And then the next person went. So by the time I graduated from university, everybody knew I was a storyteller. Consequently, I've been doing it now for 33 years. <laughs> I, I have never had another job. This is the only thing I have ever done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's how, it, so, so I, I think that falling into it university was a thing because I grew up sort of saturated with language and stories. And we were big story family. When, when it would rain outside, my mother would put giant uh, rolls of butcher block paper all up against the walls. And she would hand all of the kids, you know, seven of us crayons and say, draw me a story. And we'd spend the day drawing on the walls. When we couldn't get outside, it's raining outside. We're all just drawing on the butcher block paper on the walls and making up stories. And then she'd patiently go through all the stories with all seven kids. We'd all get to see what everybody did. Um, so I, I grew up like that. So story, and my grandfather did poetry and we were always talking about writers and all different members of my family. So storytelling was not a big leap for me, but I was not the person who knew. And in fact, I didn't get that it was a calling until one day I was sitting in church. And I, uh, by this point, I'd been a storyteller for like uh, a decade, maybe. And I'm sitting in church. And the minister is talking about following your life's passion. And he's talking about people who have gone on and gotten real jobs, like electricians or engineers or whatever. And they're now like going into you know, hospitals on the weekend dressed as clowns. So he was saying, you know, if you want to do service to the church, follow your passion, find something that you, you know, that would you would love to do. And he described it. And I was like, I'm already doing that. <laughs> I don't have to like in my free time, go have a passionate life. I live a passionate life every day. It was just this weird moment when I realized that I had been following my passion and living my best life since I graduated from, well, since before I graduated from university. And the way I even knew it was like a viable thing was this professor who basically told me I had to be a storyteller. Uh, middle of my senior year, he's like, I've got a gig. Will you come and do half and I'll give you half the cash? And I'm thinking, oh, great, like 20 bucks. Not a problem. 
He just needs me to help carry his stuff. So off I go. I do the show and I got 150 bucks for 20 minutes worth of talking. And I thought, mm -hmm. I think I could do this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it did turn out to be, it turned out, uh, just kept revolving around me. And really, it's the only thing I have ever done. Mm -hmm. So that's a really long answer to the very short question, but that's, that's it. a great answer. I love that answer. When you were in church and had that aha moment, did it change anything? Did it make the way you approach your work? Did it affect the way you approach your work or anything like that? You know, the hardest thing about being an independent artist is that you have nothing to chase. Mm -hmm. you, you, there is no corporate ladder to climb. There is no like better job to get. <laughs> you know, you're already the president of your own company. <laughs> so you, you don't have anything to chase. And so my problem would be I'm a really driven person. And I would suddenly think I needed to like, I don't graduate up on something and I would be looking for something else to do. Like I, maybe I need to go get a doctorate now. Shouldn't I be fighting towards something else, right? Something else. And after I, after that one church service, I was like, I think I have got to a place people fight to get to. Mm -hmm. I think that's the problem. Like I, I stepped out of university and at the top of my ladder mm -hmm. and I didn't, I didn't, you know, I assume everyone else is doing the same thing. That's how it is, right? Mm -hmm. And I look around and go, no, I don't do this for the money. I do this because I adore it. Mm -hmm. And that is a, that's not a bad thing. No. And not a thing to sneeze at. Mm -hmm. So it did change my understanding about what was happening to me and who I was. It also made me think about it very differently. You know, I used to try to go, well, I'm a storyteller, you know, almost apologetically because I knew I was going to have to explain what that was. <laughs> and I was going to have to try to convince the person that I was talking to that it was like a real thing. Mm -hmm. And then after I had that moment, I was like, no, nah, I am a storyteller. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know what it is, I'll tell you. Mm -hmm. Just a really different way of thinking about how I motor through life. Mm. So really claiming it and owning it and and letting go of the need to apologize for it, it sounds like. Yeah, and, and also to feel like somehow I've done something wrong or I cheated. Mm -hmm. You know, imposter syndrome is a huge thing <laughs> with, with artists. And I think as you get, as you, as you progress in the field and you start commanding either more respect or more money, somehow it seems weird that people are paying you to do this. That mm -hmm. somehow I'm, I'm watching my neighbor get up every morning at six o'clock and get in her car and drive away and come back at 830. And, she, and I probably made more money than she did that whole day. And I only worked for 45 minutes. Uh -huh. So there's that moment where you sort of feel like you're not doing it right or someone's <laughs> giving you something. I think the idea of um, doing work that we love, that we find fulfilling in many ways and being well paid for it mm -hmm. is so aspirational. It's set up as something so aspirational that when you, if you actually manage to achieve it, it somehow doesn't feel like you deserve it. Right. Like you've taken it or, right. and so, I mean, I remember being in the middle of performances and thinking somebody's paying me for this. Like, yeah. is it, does that make any sense? Really? Really? Because I'm having way too much fun for this to be work. Now, that does not mean that like running an arts business is not work. 
but I was very lucky to marry my business manager. So <laughs> uh, my part of it mostly is fun. Now, right now it's not terribly fun because of COVID and I'm having to perform, what is it, 25 stories mm -hmm. to a camera mm -hmm. and then translate all of those into set story sets mm -hmm. and then put all that up on the web so that people can, um, the idea of course being I won't perform probably at all or much this year and people will simply buy access to shows mm -hmm. and I will go about my business doing other stuff. So, so that actually... Um, the way you phrase that leads me back to a question I wanted to ask. At the outset, you said that you don't work with people who are pre-verbal um, mm -hmm. and that you tell predominantly folk tales, that you've made some choices about what you will and will not do. Mm -hmm. And so too, is it with this pivot you've had to do around COVID that you are doing something that actually isn't that much fun, but you know it's essential to do it. You're getting the, these recordings done. Mm -hmm. um, I'd love to hear a little bit about how you decide what you will choose to do and what you will choose not to do as someone who is making an independent living. One of the things that someone told me when I was a bebe bebe storyteller was that you needed a mission statement. You need to figure out what it is you want to do and what informs that. Mm -hmm. And I remember hearing that and going, oh, that seems like a good idea. But it wasn't until after I really started going that I realized I really did need to decide what I would and what I would not do. And that comes from taking a job where I was right next to a petting zoo at a carnival. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> or taking a job where they don't pay you for a month and you know ahead of time they're not going to do that. Or, And I suddenly went, you know what? I'm not at a point where I have to do birthday parties. I never have to do another one. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean there isn't a birthday party I wouldn't do, just that I don't have to do another one. Mm -hmm. So someone calls and they said, back in the day, and I don't, I don't do them anymore, but back in the day, I still felt like I had to offer it as a possibility, mm -hmm. you know, because storytelling was still in that, that phase of, what do you do? Where do you do this? And so I decided after the 17 year cicadas and I was outside telling during the 17 oh. year cicadas mm -hmm. that I would never do another birthday party that wasn't worth my while. And so I set the price for it so high. I didn't think anybody would ever take me up on it. Then someone took me up on this really expensive birthday party. And I thought, okay, that's it. Clearly, clearly the answer is no, I won't do that. So for some, it is some questions of how I decide what I will and what I won't. I had to go through about a year and a half of that before I went, okay, I just need to know what I'm not doing. I, I don't even need for So that if they ask, I can clearly say, this is against company policy. Because, mm -hmm. you know, I, someone asked, what if the clan decided they wanted you to come and you found out, you know, that there's like, you know, clan adjacent even, who <laughs> would you do it? And I was like, no, mm -hmm. why not? Because I don't have to. Mm -hmm. I'm not working for a company that's like, you know, making me do that. I have to make those own decisions. So I came up with a mission statement that basically re revolves around the seven Unitarian principles, um, all the worth and dignity of all human, all people mm -hmm. and the interconnectedness of life mm -hmm. so that I would never take a job that went against those principles. Mm. And I also, like I said earlier, I feel really strongly that that folklore exists because it speaks to us on all these various levels 
society can change and lots of things can change but humans are humans mm -hmm. and so i would concentrate on folklore uh, mostly because it's i saw it was very easy to get sort of sucked into the world of personal narrative and so many people do it not a great job with it <laughs> and so there's a difference between a me story and a we story and how you share that and whether it translates and I've just seen, I've just seen a lot of drecky storytelling. Mm -hmm. And I think partly is people don't know how to put a story together because they don't know what's in a story because they don't look at folklore. Anyway, there's a whole other thing to it. So I decided what I wanted to do. And if someone calls me, well, I don't call me anymore. They call David, but David is even stricter about that than I am. And they say, we would like X, Y, Z. He's like, yeah, you can't have X, you can't have Y, we'll talk about Z. Mm -hmm. And that's how it works. So I have a really clear understanding of what I will and what I won't. Mm -hmm. And if you call and ask for something I won't do, I won't do it. Mm -hmm. That's great. So with all of that being said, what would you recommend? What would you offer someone who is starting their right livelihood path? Choosing to, well, okay, wow. I didn't have to pick this in some ways when you talk about well, that's not exactly true. When I was out for a year out of university, I had done part of a teaching certificate and decided I didn't want to teach. And the first year I was out of school, you know, you're rushing and running and you're trying to work it out. Or you, you're in a job, if you're currently in a job that you want to flee and go do something else. It is very hard to do because expectations, mm -hmm. you, you don't even know what your own expectations are until you're faced with something. And then you feel all of this resistance. But most of the time, the resistance is in yourself. Mm. It's not external. Now, there are some external resistance pieces. So here's my quick little story about that. So I'm out of school for a year. And I didn't get my teaching certificate because I decided I didn't want to teach. I wanted to make art. And I started getting phone calls from schools in the area who knew I was still in the area and who wanted me to come and teach, to be their um, creative drama teachers or to teach English. And they started calling me and saying, we would like to offer you a job. And I would say, uh, I don't have a teaching certificate. And they would say, oh, that is perfectly fine. We will pay for you to go back and get that. And we will give you healthcare plan. Mm -hmm. And we'll sign you up for the pension. And <laughs> <laughs> and I was still trying to work out how I was going to pay rent every month telling stories. Mm -hmm. And it was hard to say no. Mm -hmm. Because even though society tells me that I have to be in a job where I'm going to get a pension and where I have guaranteed income, where I am clearly working for schools which i you know public education i believe in it mm -hmm. you know i all these various things my background i'm i'm a liberal hippie lady my background lines up to tell me public schools need people to teach in them who have passion blah 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 everything was yelling at me mm -hmm. but somewhere inside of me where i knew i had to to deal live with was saying to me if you do this you will never be a storyteller. Not like this, though you will tell stories in class mm -hmm. because you will never be able to get out of this. And once you accept this, there will be no path out other than to break through not only your own things, 
but your parents and your friends and this world that you will build. Is this the world you want to build? Is this the life you want to have? Mm-hmm. And despite, despite every piece of me going, this is what you were building for, right? Get a job, go have a pension. I had to say no. Mm-hmm. I had to say that's not the life I want, even though that's the life I've been told I want. And it was very hard with my parents because, of course, my parents forked over a small fortune to send me to Northwestern. And then I came home for Christmas and my dad said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, oh, in March and in February, I'm going to be Sojourner Truth and I'm going to tour as Sojourner Truth. He said, what are you going to do in March? I said, I don't know. And he said, I, I just, <laughs> I just, I'll send you money. Okay. Just I don't, I don't want to know. So then he was flying through Chicago on his way out to DC and he called all afternoon because he wanted to take me to lunch. It was a surprise. By the time I got back, my roommates were insane. They were like, please call him. He's been calling all day. So he got to, to DC. I called him. I'm like, what's the deal? And he said, where were you all day? And I said, I was working. And he got really quiet. And he said, what do you do again? Mm-hmm. So he, it, it wasn't until, gosh, I don't know. It wasn't until I was in my 40s. 20 years <laughs> before he accepted that what I did had any worth or value. Mm-hmm. And now he's very proud of me. But back in the day, he really did not get it at all. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. So if you're just starting, understand that your right life, if it's an artistic life, it's, if it's something that is off the beaten path or outside what you studied, the pushback comes from both internally and externally. So if you really want to take this journey, you're going to have to find the core of who you are and let that hold you up until you are running. I can't think of a better place to wrap this up. That is perfect, Donna. Thank you. If people want to get in touch with you, where can they find you? Well, I'm hiding. No, I'm not hiding. <laughs> uh, I, I live at DonnaWashington.com. Okay. So from there, there's ways to contact me. And you can, there's all kinds of stuff over there. My virtual stuff is over there. You Your can books. go to YouTube, my books, my yep. CDs, all that stuff is there. So yes, yeah, so DonnaWashington.com. All right. My Twitter, everything is there. Wonderful. <laughs> Thank you so much, Donna. Thank you. So to learn more about Donna Washington, go to DonnaWashington.com. To learn more about Your Right Livelihood, please go to YourRightLivelihood.com. While you're there, you can sign up for our top 10 guides, free weekly guides to making a living and making a life, including conversing with your calling, authentic and effective marketing, exploring your relationship with money, and more. We also offer small group coaching with Karen Miriam Goldberg and with me, Laura Packer, on your life and livelihood for only $9.99. It's all at yourrightlivelihood.com. Thank you so much for listening. Donna, thank you again. Everyone out there, please take care. We look forward to hearing from you soon.